Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm your host, Karen Nowicki, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what's happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. I'd like to thank Arizona Commerce Authority, AZ TechCast 2020 Innovation Sponsor. The Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. The Commerce Authority uses a three-pronged approach to advance the overall economy, recruit, grow, and create. I'd also like to thank our 2020 Tech Advocate Sponsor, JDH Insights. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. And with that, let's give a warm welcome to today's featured guests. Please help me welcome Andrew Christian, Vice President of Business Development and Defense at Nikola Motor Company, and Dominic Papa, Vice President and of Smart State Initiatives at the Arizona Commerce Authority. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Excited to get into our conversation today. Innovative automotive companies are playing a significant role in enabling the growth of Arizona's electric and autonomous vehicle market. As the technology for self-driving and electric cars become more advanced and greater adoption of these technologies evolve, challenges and opportunities abound. During today's TechCast, these distinguished experts will share their expertise and insight on the impact of modern transportation on communities, how the EV market is changing the automotive industry, the promise and pitfalls of autonomous driving, and the necessary infrastructure needed to bring it from sci-fi to total reality. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. And again, thank you both for being here. I would love to start off with uh, both of you sharing a little bit about your background. We had a chance to do that in the, I'll call it a green room, even though we're virtual, for lack of a better word. But if you would tell our audience, please, a little bit about yourself and how you landed at the role that you're uh, participating in right now with the organization or company you represent today. And Dom, would you mind getting started for us first? Of course. Be happy to. So, you know, again, Dom Papa, the Vice President of Smart State Initiatives at the Arizona Commerce Authority. But I'm really kind of a city guy. I used to Worked for the city of Phoenix for then Councilman Gates. He's now supervisor of the county. And he really brought me in to really help try to drive a smart city strategy for the city of Phoenix. And so my kind of background and my education has always been in local government, urban management. We realized that when I was at the city of Phoenix, we really struggled to really get initiatives up and off the ground and really get things moving in the smart city space. Um, And so at the time, we were getting really frustrated. And I started to do a lot of research on traditionally well-known smart cities, Dubai, Barcelona, Helsinki, San Francisco, we all know them. And what we realized is that they all had some sort of outside organization that could sit in the community and really drive technology and innovation forward from the outside in. So at the time, we took a look around the greater Phoenix region, and there really wasn't one of those organizations. And so I said, okay, I partnered with my uh, co-founder, Brian Dean, and we started a technology smart city nonprofit called the Institute for Digital Progress. Uh, We worked with cities to drive smart city efforts 
Uh, and that's when we had this idea of why are we trying to solve city challenges? These challenges cross municipal boundaries. We really need to look at these challenges from scale. Uh, and so we decided uh, to create a smart region. And we launched that smart region, which includes the 22 cities, the county, a Arizona State University, leading industry partners like Cox Communications, Dell Technologies, T-Mobile, um, and it's called The Connective. And so we officially launched that in November of last year. We just hit our one-year anniversary, and so we're really excited about it. But once we launched that, that's when Sandra uh, asked me to come join the, the Arizona Commerce Authority and kind of spread smart city ideas and governance models across the entire state and try to, and try to uplift all communities so that way they can benefit from these technologies. And, and so that's kind of how uh, I got to where I am today. Love it. Dom, can you explain smart cities for our listeners who may not be familiar with that phrase? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a difficult phrase to nail down. The the running joke in the in the circuit is that you ask 10 mayors what a smart city is and you're going to get 12 answers because uh, no, no one knows. Right. And and basically what I like to tell, especially city managers, mayors, you know, the average the average citizen, you know, there is no in state to become a smart city. It's more about the culture and the way you really try to answer questions in a more collaborative, more systematic uh, way. And so it's really leveraging you know, emerging technologies and data to really make better, more informed decisions that could, you know, improve the quality of service that governments are delivering or improve the quality of life for our citizens and businesses. And so I like to say a smart city, it's a journey, not an in-state. And it's a really, uh, it's a it's a kind of a culture and a culture change for local government. Mm, that's helpful. And if Steve were here with us, he usually co-hosts with me, Steve Zalstra with uh, Arizona Tech Council. I'm sure he would be nodding his head in in agreement because I know that's a big part of, of course, the role that he plays and his entire organization as well. So thank you so much for that great introduction. Andy, how about you? Give us a little background about you or a lot of background, whatever. <laughs> sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Karen, for for hosting. And, and Dom, great to see you again. Dom and I have partnered on a, a few different uh, technology events and it's great to see him again. Uh, my story really starts uh, back in 1989 when I joined the United States Marine Corps. I came in as an infantry a Marine and uh, soon after was commissioned as an officer. I uh, got recruited into the special operations community. Along that journey and path, I did 14 uh, deployments, many of those combat deployments, and uh, finished in 2017 as the special operations task force commander during the battle for Mosul. So removing ISIS from the battlefield in Mosul. And that's really where I got my, my taste for innovation and working in teams uh, to you know, problem solve and methodically think through how innovation can help you on the battlefield, but not only the battlefield, uh, but in my second chapter uh, working here with Nikola Motor. So I was recruited uh, by the CEO, Trevor Milton. Uh, at that time, Nikola was very small. We only had uh, 20 employees. We were uh, literally just out of his basement and in a warehouse in, uh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, the company was growing rapidly, uh, and we were we were wooed to come to Arizona. Uh, Governor Ducey was instrumental in that. The Arizona Commerce Authority was very instrumental in that. Uh, and now Nikola has expanded and, and grown uh, and, and, and really taking off. We've got almost 500 employees now here in the greater Phoenix area. And so I was originally recruited to do some of the military projects. Uh, we did several contracts with the government to introduce electrification in military platforms, and introduce fuel cell technology to the military. Now I'm leading a lot of the strategy efforts for infrastructure with electrical vehicle infrastructure and hydrogen infrastructure. So super excited to be here and look forward to this discussion. 
I am ready to learn. I'm eager to learn everything <laughs> I can. Uh, so I live in the East Valley, and and we have a lot of the testing areas, don't we, Dom, out in East Valley for some of the the self-driving vehicles? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, kind of Waymo has, uh, you know, kind of picked Chandler to, to kind of be that hub for, for their, you know, automated vehicle testing. And so a lot of the vehicles that you'll see will be on that East Valley, you know, Chandler, Gilbert, Mesa area. Uh, you know, even bleeding into to Tempe a lot. And, you know, what I think is really exciting, and, and I'm sure you all heard that, you know, Waymo was the first company in America, maybe even globally, to launch, you know, a fully automated commercial service. So, you know, they're actually picking up people and delivering them, um, you know, with without a driver. And it's very exciting. And what I think is even more exciting is that Waymo in the industry has been such a really community focused industry. You know, they are in the city of Chandler really working hand in hand with them to understand, you know, what is it going to be necessary from, from the government's perspective, from the industry's perspective to really make these technologies succeed. And I think that's a collaboration you don't see often, right? Oftentimes, um, you know, industry loves to drive forward and just say, government, get out of my way. Um, but what we're seeing in the automated vehicle industry is this real sense of collaboration because obviously if you want to commercialize these technologies we want them to be safe right we want them to be secure and so and so they've really taken a proactive effort to collaborate closely with local governments not just Chandler but across the entire state uh, and so it's very exciting to see what turned out to be a small test and now a bigger test and and hopefully soon you know full regional and statewide deployment we're excited to watch where it goes I've been, you know, watching it for at least a couple of years, right, and and seeing it over and over in the area that I spend most of my time in. So for me, it's just kind of natural to see that progression. Uh, but let's let's take it a little bit wider than that. Of course, are electric vehicles finally having their heyday and coming into the mainstream? And and how about self-driving cars? Let's talk about that. And also, can you predict what percentage of cars will be electric by twenty thirty? Either of you can jump in there. Sure, I'll I'll start on that. You know, I really think electrical electric vehicles are on the, the cusp of, of worldwide adoption now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why I say that is not only have you seen a transformational process occurring with major automotive companies where where they are on board now, and in the past they would fight it. They would they would build two or three cars that were very small, maybe not all that attractive. Uh, and early adopters would buy them, people that believe in electric vehicle technology, but they weren't a car for the masses. Tesla came along and others in the industry and started designing cars that people found very useful, fun to drive, had high performance, uh, and really uh, were pretty much maintenance-free. So once that happened and, there, and those cars were produced economically, uh, you saw major automotive manufacturers make the switch. Uh, along at the same time, you saw governments starting to mandate um, really what what I call the death of diesel or, or the death of the internal combustible engine. So once you started to see government step in and regulate it more heavily uh, in Europe, more heavily in Asia, now in the United States, California kind of leading the charge there, you're going to see by 2030, 2035 that this is going to be in full implementation. Now, it takes a little bit longer uh, for these processes uh, to take place. It takes a little bit longer for to make the conversions. We're going to talk today a little bit about the impacts to infrastructure and the grid and the APSs and the SRPs of the world that are trying to figure this along, figure this out along with industry. Uh, and they're going to be willing partners. Uh, and you're going to see oil, the big oil, also jump into the electric vehicle game and come up with creative solutions, not only for electric vehicles, but for hydrogen-powered fuel cell vehicles. 
Uh, and uh, it's an exciting time. And I, I really think you hit it on the head uh, by 2030, 2035, we're going to we're going to be very close to to adoption, in my opinion. And a lot of that is going to be regulated. But we got to make sure we take care of the industry, too. We can't just impose laws that they can't meet the demands and the timelines and do it economically. So we have to we have to figure all this out together, more importantly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And maybe just to touch on, you know, what we're really excited about on the autonomous vehicle side of the house. I mean, just think about from the government's perspective, some of the, the you know, benefits that come along with, with this autonomous vehicle technology. I mean, the increased safety, you know, the, the potential reduction in traffic accidents, fatalities. I think it's, I think I read somewhere that it was estimated kind of over 500,000 lives could be saved um, through the autonomous vehicle technology. You, you know, the reduction in commutes, you know, the, the more, um, productive workers can be as they're commuting from you know work to home or or work to to you know travel vacation and think about the also to go along with the you know the traffic fatalities the incidents think about the reduction of that what that means in public safety costs it's just incredible the amount of money cities and states spend um, on public safety when in terms of you know traffic accidents and of course as as Andy mentioned economic boost. I mean, so much money is, is getting dumped into R&D in this space. Um, you know, we really see if we're if we're for progressive state like we have been, you know, we're really going to reap the benefits of, of the economic development that follows. And so that's kind of some of the thoughts that, you know, the government is, is thinking about when it comes to, to Thomas vehicles and Andy hit the nail on the head with the, the electric side of the house. What are the risks and challenges then with the future of the automotive industry? It's a great question, Karen, and, and Dom was alluding to it. Imagine that you're an engine manufacturer and your factory makes pistons, uh, and now this electric vehicle boom is happening, and now there's no more demand signal for pistons. These companies are going to have to cross-train employees into different sectors, right? They're going to have to be battery experts now. They're going to have to be wiring harness experts. They're going to have to ha- understand infrastructure uh, and fuel cell and hydrogen and all these new emerging technologies, they're literally going to have to innovate or they're going to die. Uh, so I think government has an obligation too to step in and, and make sure that we're not pu- pushing regulation down their throat so fast that they can't uh, adopt in, to this new way of thinking and that we set them up for success. And, and, and I think largely the government knows that, understands that, uh, and we have to move through this process t- together uh, but it's happening. It, uh, the transformation is occurring now. Uh, you, you, you talked about how fast will happen in the United States. A good example would be Norway. Norway already is about 50% electric vehicle. Wow. They're really the, the world's leader when it comes to electric vehicle adoption. The United States is hovering around between 3 and 5%, but growing every year with who's adopting electric vehicles. Some of those have been subsidized, right? So there's subsidies uh, occurring. When you buy a, a brand new electric vehicle, you get a $7,500 tax credit, so you're incentivized to purchase. But there'll be other regulations, and uh, there'll be some goodness that comes out of the technology. And we can talk about that a little. We were talking about just passenger automotive right now with the company I work for. We're going to produce a semi-truck uh, that's going to be you know, uh, driving uh, next year and in full production next year in 2021. That's going to have a 750 kilowatt battery pack. That's like the equivalent of seven Teslas parked together. So when you think about that much energy, uh, you know, what do you do with that energy when you're not using it? Well, you could bi-directionally reverse the flow of that 750 kilowatt battery, push it back to the grid, to the APSs and SRPs of the world and power things. 
So get back to the grid when energy demand is very high and pull back when energy is cheaper. So there's an economic algorithm piece to this that you'll see uh, companies getting very crafty of when they're charging vehicles and how they're offsetting uh, these vehicles when they're charging. And that's an exciting time uh, because the infrastructure has to keep pace with the technology that we're putting out, right? It's what we refer to uh, at Nikola all the time as the chicken and the egg. The two technologies have to come, infrastructure and the actual uh, automotive uh, engineering that you're doing. If you don't match those technologies, then you're not going to you're not going to roll out the timing uh, to be uh, you know uh, synchronized. Uh, so that's very important, and I think we're headed in the right direction. And uh, discussions like we're having today are, are going to be pivotal to uh, to airing out these issues and problem solving. Yeah, Andy, I would love to ask you a question on that. You know, one of the main reasons we created the smart region, you know, bringing those 22 cities and towns and the county together was to start to, you know, think together, act together, innovate together, then, you know, procure and deploy technology and infrastructure together because, you know, I'm talking to a lot of these cities and, you know, they want to encourage EV adoption, you know, right? And so they're thinking about, you know, where can we put these EV charging stations and other sorts of infrastructure, but how important is it that, you know, we start to look at the infrastructure play at scale and not every individual municipality trying to create their own kind of infrastructure plan. I mean, would you say kind of, you know, in your dream world, you know, there's kind of a, a, you know, region-wide infrastructure plan and strategy. Would that help really accelerate, you know, the adoption and deployment of, you know, electric vehicles? It certainly would, and uh, and it's it's been well known the the Biden administration's coming in with a plan, especially with electric vehicles, to incentivize people and and uh, and really take the lead on some of the in infrastructure incentives of how many charging stations they would like mm -hmm. to see across the United States. So I think having some sort of federal policy that sets the guidelines and incentivizes uh, municipalities to make the transition is helpful. You know, if you get augmented some money to to build some infrastructure, that's helpful. Uh, and then I think you see, you know, the energy companies are realizing that there's a piece and a play there for them. Uh, so they're incentivizing customers to do that. Um, we're right now here at Nikola at our headquarters. Uh, we're working uh, with the SRP. We're, we have a EV charging station that's going in place to charge 50 employee uh, vehicles. And then we'll expand that to up to 200 over time with solar. Uh, so I think most companies are going to look at that. How, how can you take care of your employees, incentivize them to drive electric vehicles, to reduce the carbon footprint, uh, and then follow the, the, you know, the, the, the federal mandates and guidelines of, of trying to, to, uh, to make this transformation a little bit easier. How should policy policymakers prepare in three areas? We've talked a lot about infrastructure, but how about for jobs and innovation as well? So we're talking not only a state level municipality, but talking, you know, countrywide, really. What are your thoughts then around how folks should prepare, policymakers in particular, uh, in infrastructure, jobs, and innovation? What aspect of those have we not spoken to yet? Well, you know, I'll give you the Nikola example of why we came to Arizona. We were obviously incentivized to come here and, and Governor Ducey, you know, rolled out the red carpet and Arizona Commerce Authority was instrumental in that too. But we had access to a great school at ASU with a great engineering program. Yeah. So when you look at the STEM portion of this and you look at you know, science and mathematics and the engineers of the future, we're going to need a lot of, of, of great, brilliant engineers uh, to solve some of these complex problems, both infrastructure and engineering of, of new and emerging technologies. Um, we're, we're starting to see now, you know, drone deliveries and some of that runs on battery. And uh, we're in the infancy of really just a technology transformation. You know, the 
the internal combustible engine largely in the diesel engine hasn't changed in 80 to 100 years. It's really the same technology. What we're trying to do, and that's why I keep saying transformational, because it really is. And uh, in order to make those kind of leaps, you need to just have brilliant people working on those kind of issues and, and problem solving on a daily basis. And it's happening so fast. If you just go back in time five years ago, the electric vehicles were getting 100 miles, maybe 150 if you had a great car. Now we're talking 400 miles, 500 miles. Lucid down the road in Casa Grande has a car coming out, the Lucid Air. That'll go 400 plus miles, almost five. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to now see the electric vehicle um, really surpass the internal combustible engine of how far it will go before it needs to be recharged. And that battery technology, hydrogen infrastructure, electrical infrastructure, it's only going to get better as technology improves. So it's an exciting time. What do you Definitely. Think? And, you know, I, I'll just say from my side, you know, uh, kind of a model that I like to always speak about when I'm at conferences or, or talking about what we're building in Arizona is that collaboration is our next competitive advantage. And I think as Andy mentioned, no one wants to just be kind of regulated down to. And so what we've really tried to do is take a proactive approach to making sure we have all the stakeholders at the table uh, in order to drive this forward together. Because I, I think really only together are we going to make the kind of strides that are going to be necessary to see these two industries flourish. And I, I think a perfect example of this is when Governor Ducey in 2018 signed an executive order that launched the Institute for Automated Mobility. It was really to help, you know, accelerate the commercialization of these technologies, but it's a public-private academic partnership, as I like to say. It's got, you know, leading industry partners like Intel, Mobileye, State Farm, and Exponent. It's got the state agencies of ADOT, Arizona Congress Authority, uh, Department of Public Safety, and then it's got all three uh, state uh, institutions, ASU, U Arizona, and NAU. And, and the goal of that is to really get all the necessary parties around the table and say, okay, we want these technologies out and on the road, but we realize that each of us has a different perspective or a different incentive with what we need to do, right? Government needs to regulate for safety. Industry wants to commercialize and make a profit. And the research institutions want, want to do research and write, you know, papers and best on best practices. And so it was really a conscious effort from the governor to say, okay, if we want these vehicles to succeed, these technologies to succeed, we have to do this together. We've got to collaborate. Uh, and I think that's a great example of, of kind of how Arizona is, is trying to take a different approach and not just say government is going to say what you need to do, when you need to do it, and how you need to do it. But we're going to work on this together uh, to make sure we can all be successful in the end. Is there an industry or any a vertical that that we need more more encouragement to keep showing up in these conversations, or do you feel like you have everybody at, at, at all the right people at the table already? I think we're we're getting there. I think, like Dom said, if you bring these industry ex experts together and you bring government and municipality, local leaders, uh, and everybody is focused toward the common goal of solving the problem and framing the problem correctly too. Right? What problem are we trying to solve? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so far, what I've seen out of the the uh, collaborative groups that I've sat in, we're heading in the right direction. Uh, and everybody is really laser focused on, on understanding where this technology is going, trying to recruit great companies to come to Arizona. Uh, and, then, uh, and then how fast can we bring these, these solutions to, to market? 
and how do we have the right workforce that can be trained uh, to work on these problem sets? Um, you know, how are we going to improve transportation in Arizona? Uh, how are we going to you know speed up all of these requirements and more importantly synchronize them? Um, have the infrastructure match. Uh, and make sure that we can deliver it on budget, right? I mean, because there's a lot of great ideas out there, but they're so expensive, uh, nobody that becomes an issue too. So you have to find, you know, the, the equal footing there and present plans that are not, not only palatable, but executable. Tom. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Andy. I, I think you really said it so well. And if, just from my perspective, the governance side of thing, if there's one group that I would really like to more fully engage, it's it's the K through 12. I think, you know, Andy talked about the great universities we have, and we've been doing really, really well bringing our community college systems into the conversation because they are really, truly kind of that workforce development pipeline as well. But I would like to see us even start even younger, uh, bring those K-12s, um, you know, into this conversation and really start to to get at this workforce, um, you know, from only as, as young as we possibly can. So that's my only addition to the to that. I love that you've shared that because I was thinking the same thing. I mentioned again when we were uh, getting ready to go on air, I've got a 13-year-old uh, in the Kyrene School District, and he's if he's not a professional baseball player, right, <laughs> then, he, then he wants to be an engineer. So mom keeps trying to flip the script, right? Hey, do both, but, uh, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know, you know, how to encourage him uh, around that. I, my background is, is communications. I was an educator for years. I totally agree, Dom, that K-12 education, and, and when we had the three university presidents on uh, with Steve and I actually for this particular show, a lot of the conversation was just that. How do we start to really reach those kids who are K-12, get them excited about STEM careers, help them kind of see for the, toward the future and help us shape that future? So I love that you mentioned that as well. I'm thinking from a perspective of the general layperson or the consumer as well, what is our responsibility as we begin to make this, this transition and move forward? Like, how do we prepare and how can we best support where we're headed? Sure. I, I think when it comes to looking at all these emerging technologies, really educating yourself, right? Uh, you know, reading and, and learning from others within the industry uh, about the technology. And is it a good fit for you? Is it a good fit for your family? How fast would you like to adopt a technology like an electric vehicle? Uh, do you want to put solar on your house? Do you want to have a power wall where if you know there's a fire or whatever, you'll still have electricity in your house? These are all new emerging technologies that'll be useful for the consumer in the future. But it really starts with uh, having having faith and confidence in the technology. So you always see early adopters uh, jump onto things, right? You know, the, the person that just loves the green movement or loves an electric vehicle and they get excited about that. So they buy it even if the vehicle has problems and they're willing to work through those friction points. Um, but mass adoption doesn't take place till people are really confident and they believe in a technology and they understand it. And uh, it's not complex. It's easy. It, it benefits the consumer in many ways. So I think you have to, number one, be smart about what product you're, you're going to buy. Uh, you have to educate yourself, but the product has to be useful. Uh, it can't be the perception that I'm going to have an electric vehicle and I'm going to suffer from range anxiety because I think I'm going to run out of juice on the 101, right? So you have to be comfortable with that and, uh, and understand the capabilities of the technology and how it can benefit you. Completely agree. You know, I, I would say educate and then engage. And oftentimes from the government's side of the house, you know, we we hold community forums, we get out there and try to really engage the community and and that civic engagement isn't quite top of mind for people. So I would say, you know, educate yourself and then engage as much as possible with with your local government, with your state government, you know, talk to us, you know, if there are concerns 
or, or whatever they may be, because, you know, that's our role is really to, to ensure that you are educated, but then you are protected. And so really, really get out there and engage, engage with us and our, our partners like Nicola, right? I'm curious if you think that gas stations are going to go away eventually. No, Karen, it's a great question. I get, I get that question all the time. I don't think they will. I think it, it's like anytime you introduce a disruptive technology, they're going to have to adapt, right? So these gas stations should be converted to EV charging stations, and that'll be a phased approach, right? You'll see hydrogen uh, fuel cell, so hydrogen stations in conjunction with electric vehicle stations in the future, operating at various gas stations as as you phase out the internal combustible engine. Um, so I think there's room, and that's part of that transition of that transformational process I was telling you. We have an obligation to these people that we just don't put them out of work. We cross-train them into a new and emerging innovative sector that they can get a great paying job in and, and get retrained. So I think it's exciting. Uh, I think you also have to realize that this process is happening, this transformation is occurring, and get on board the train, right? You don't want to be left behind. Are there gas station companies that are already making that transition? I'm, I'm trying to think if I've seen any. I don't really pay attention because I'm still driving a, a typical vehicle. Sure, and there are. I mean, if you go out to California, and, uh, and obviously California has more electric vehicles sure. than anywhere in the country. Um, and if you look at some of those stations, there's electric vehicle charging stations all over the place. Some are independently owned, not in conjunction with gas stations. Some shell stations have uh, you know, gasoline, and then right next to that is a hydrogen station to fill your hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. So there, there, are, there are many, and I think that's what you'll see. You'll see a combination of conversion happening. Uh, and what a lot of companies, companies like Nikola, we're looking at all those type of partnerships as well, where you, uh, it doesn't make sense to recreate infrastructure if infrastructure already exists, right? So the truck driver in our case is that's our market, uh, semi-trucks. They're going to have to stop and get a cup of coffee at a truck stop, right? They're going to have to eat some food. So having discussions with, with those type of people and looking at infrastructure locations uh, where you're not going to make the driver drive out of his way and build something uh, in the middle of nowhere, you use that existing infrastructure uh, and you just repurpose it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're going to see a lot in the future with hydrogen, with electric vehicles, et cetera. Our friend Jill in the background here has another great question. Will will future generations lose lose interest in obtaining a driver's license with the future of autom- autonomous vehicles, right? Learning to drive used to be a sort of coming of age thing. And and I mean, obviously that's something that my kiddo's looking forward to. And and I remembered that, you know, the fear and also the excitement of having a driver's license. What what would you say about that? Will will and I actually, before I ask that question fully, I'm even thinking about some of my nieces and nephews who um are around the driving age and maybe even a little bit older, and and a handful of them have not obtained their driver's license, which is very different than the generation I grew up in. What are your thoughts around that? <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll go first on that one. You know, I, I don't really know if I have a good answer because you're exactly right. I mean, when I turned 16, I was begging my mom to take me as soon as the MVD opened to, to get my driver's license. But I have friends now that have kids that, you know, are 17, 18 and still haven't got their driver's license. You know, I think, um, I don't think it'll completely go away. I, I, I think, um, you know, people still want to go on long road trips and, and do all other sorts of, you know, travel related activities. I, so I think, the, the driver's license will always be needed and wanted. It's just, um, I think we might not see, you know, not such a big rush or excitement to get it. So I really don't know if there's a good answer. It's been interesting to watch, that's for sure. You know, Karen, I think you bring up an interesting point because I think if you were to have a child today, by the time that child uh, is 16 and has a driver's license, there probably won't be a need for it other than nostalgia uh, of uh, getting behind the wheel of a 
maybe an old antique uh, ice engine car, uh, or you, you keep that in your inventory for, for just emotional purposes of the love of driving, whatever. Uh, because bottom line, it won't be as safe uh, as this technology right. is rolled out. It'd be much safer to drive in an autonomous car because it's going to be updating that computer in milliseconds off of 5G and in the future, you know, faster speeds uh, where driving a car, you'll put yourself at risk uh, in the future when these systems get so good that they're just going to react and be smarter than the, the human brain can function. So from that aspect, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll drive cars because we love driving. Uh, and I love driving and I'm sure Dom and Karen, you do and your, your son when he gets his license will as well. But I think it'll be not as safe if you fast forward 10 years from now, uh, if you're behind the wheel of a car. And that speaks to infrastructure too, doesn't it? it is it true? And I'm kind of, I don't know where I'm getting this, but is it true that a typical car that we're driving today, we would need to have more autonomous vehicles and ele- electrical vehicles that are prepared to be on the road with other vehicles like that, as opposed to the ones we're driving today, right? So as we make this transition, we it it really does have to go in one direction. Am I am I right? When I it, it's kind of a question more 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 of a thought there, but I I wonder about that interim as we get more and more vehicles, and then these older vehicles have to fade out. Is there an issue with these cars, both these types of vehicles on the road at the same time? I, I wouldn't say an issue, but I would say it'll be much safer if you have multiple cars that are smart cars. Like we're talking about smart cities, but smart cars, right? Mm-hmm. Cars that have LIDAR or radar or ultrasonic sensors, and they're constantly updating and feeding information and getting smarter. And you can you can upgrade their software over the air, which means by the internet, right? So the cars are co- constantly collecting data, constantly understanding there's a stop sign there, there's a red light there, and they're getting smarter and smarter, therefore safer and safer. So if you, you've kept internal combustible engines on the cars that weren't smart, and you have that human factor of driving, there's probably more of a chance of getting in an accident with that person with a car not as sophisticated or as smart. Um, so your your point, I think, is valid. I think uh, the more smart cars you have out there, once the technology is is 100% effective and safe, it will just create a safer driving environment. So insurance rates should go down in the future and we'll have less accidents and there'll be less congestion on the highways. So uh, I, I think it'll be an exciting time. Uh, I think where the challenge is, people like us that are, that are talking about this, we love driving cars, right? And uh, and uh, we we love to get behind a car. We love the feel of a car and... and uh, I don't know how fast we'll be willing to give that up, uh, but it'll definitely be safer to be in an automated car. And Ken, I think that's also a good point about kind of just infrastructure. A lot of these autonomous vehicle companies are coming to us and saying, you know, can we have dedicated lanes? Um, because we know our, you know, technology is safe, but we don't, you know, it's it's the, you know, the human driven vehicles that, you know, if we, if they hit us, you know, it sets back the industry, you know, years. Um, and so they're really asking for, for these, you know, dedicated lanes. And I think it goes to a, you know, a broader infrastructure question of, you know, what infrastructure is going to be required to really see these, you know, these vehicles accelerate. And, and honestly, I, I think the answer at this point is we don't know. And I just want to highlight another fact that, you know, that's why that Institute brought in mobility. They're actually currently testing as we speak to, they're testing the answer to this exact question about infrastructure, right? They're, they're doing work up in Anthem, which is just north um, of the Phoenix region, uh, they call it the smart drive test bed to really equip intersections with cameras to test light detecting radar systems. And, and at the same time that they're doing this, it's, this is really interesting. They're beginning to develop um, a concept and of what they're calling infrastructure as a service. It's really, really interesting. So which 
it's essentially would entail communication services that would be provided to autonomous vehicles to impact the safety and efficiency of the vehicle. So this sort of infrastructure, when proved, will play a significant role in really enhancing the safety uh, and efficient efficiency for roadway operators, such as first responders or law enforcement or even maintenance teams. So again, I think leveraging collaborations to test, to prove technologies will help us get these vehicles out on the road quicker. Fascinating. It's interesting, too, to think that Edison and Henry Ford were buddies, and now their ideas are coming together, right, over 100 years later. What do you think that either of these uh, folks would have to say about the automotive industry today? It's a great question, and it's a great analogy. I, I, I think you're seen as the merging of technology. Henry Ford is obviously an icon and a, and a great innovator and and uh, but the product, like we talked about, largely hasn't changed in a hundred years, right? I mean, you've you've got the same type of engine, pistons, oil changes, etc. Um, whereas Edison and uh, and Nikola Tesla, um, you know, AC versus DC, uh, alternating current versus direct current. That's what those two were kind of known for. It's the merging of new and innovative ways to do things, and it's, and it's exciting and transformational. And and Ford is on board too, right? So if you look at Ford, they're going to have the electric Mustang out here very, very shortly. So it's one of the, it's one of those things where, you know, the companies that are, that are innovative are all going to, going to adopt these new technologies or they're going to get left behind, quite frankly. And you'll see new and very cool and emerging partnerships, right? Because some of these technologies are very expensive. So it's expensive to build a battery fact, have a whole new global supply chain for things that didn't exist or there was not a need for five years ago. I think you're going to see a lot more partnerships where automotive companies join forces to reduce costs. And I think uh, the days of brand new companies trying to get into that game will slowly start to diminish unless they partner through the power partnership, because uh, it's just going to be too hard to keep up with the competition as people merge uh, and start to build very sophisticated cars. And uh, you see more and more adoption occurring. Hmm. Tom, anything to add yeah. to that? Could, no, completely agree. And and I just actually want to, you know, ask Andy something, talk about innovative partnerships, something that caused a lot of the municipal uh, municipalities to get excited, a lot of city managers, a lot of public works directors was the partnership with Republic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, I mean, talk about tra- transformation of fleets and, and trash vehicles. I mean, that really got a lot of people uh, in local government excited. Can, can you just hit on that a little bit about that innovative sure. partnership? Sure. I mean, we're excited to be to working and partnering with Republic to produce, you know, a, a refuse truck that'll be, you know, a state of the art truck that meets their requirements and their specifications. And and more importantly, they're realizing that, uh, you know, they've got a they've got a requirement as they, they're seeing, you know, a global demand for more efficient vehicles that aren't going to uh, aren't going to emit, uh, you know, diesel fumes in the days of here in the trash truck come down the road are going to be gone. You know, the, the Nikola trash refuse truck is going to sneak up on you uh, in stealth mode, right? And you're going to be late to deliver your, your garbage cans to the street. So it, it's going to be exciting. But, you know, again, Republic is going to be an early adopter of this technology. They're realizing that they, they have to make the switch. And it's, it's not only going to be uh, Republic services, it's going to be fire trucks, it's going to be ambulances, it's going to be construction equipment. This transformation is not limited to the automotive sector, right? It's going to be, it's going to go global and it's going to impact everything. So it's exciting. So going back to the infrastructure problem, uh, it's going to create new and unique infrastructure requirements, right? So 
we have to really engage industry. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about the energy companies, you know, APS and SRP here uh, in Arizona. We have discussions with them all the time because having those partners come together and solve these very complex issues, you can't overwhelm a substation or you can't impact the grid uh, because you got all these uh, electric vehicles being introduced. You've got to match the infrastructure requirements and allow that to grow near simultaneous with these technologies being implemented into, into these, these companies for, for mass adoption. So it's exciting. And I think everybody realizes it's, it's a very challenging problem that we've never faced, at least from a, an automotive transformation and an equipment transformation. But it, it also is exciting because uh, whether, you, whether you believe in, in, in climate change or not, it is going to be good for the climate. It's going to be good for the air in Arizona. It's going to be good for, for everybody's health. And we're excited to be a part of that. Great question, it's, it's Dom. Incredible. Karen, yeah, and Karen, I think you could see why we're so excited to have Nicola here in our, you know, our backyard. Tremendous oh, partnerships. Sure. We're we're just excited for the future. I'm curious with you two having been young boys at one point, did, did you ever think that you would be in the roles that you're playing right, right now having these kinds of conversations? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was probably like your son, thought I was going to be a professional baseball player or a race car driver or something like that, but uh uh, and, and my advice to your son would, it would be be an engineer and be a professional <laughs> baseball I, player. <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be a good choice. But but Karen, seriously, no. Uh, but I would say that for me, there, there's a passion there, and I know Dom has a passion too for it. Uh, and it, and it's just exciting to be a part of it because these industries really attract really brilliant people, brilliant engineers, brilliant global supply chain people, people that are just laser focused on uh, on wanting to be a part of a great culture and a movement. Uh, and, and be part of an innovative technology and really just be excited to get up in the morning and get behind a product that they believe in, that they also think is contributing and, and saving the planet. So I'm uh, I'm blessed to be a part of that here at Nikola. And, uh, and I know Dom feels the same way with what he's doing. Um, and it, the, the best part about it is just having daily interaction with, with these super smart people and being able to gauge our customer base who, who also are excited about these new technologies. Tom, yeah, as a I mean, little boy, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> no for me as well. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I played soccer most of my life and I just happened to, you know, work for a technology startup when I when I came back to Phoenix while I was getting my master's degree in urban um, administration against city city management. And I kind of put the two together, like, you know, the tech startup and, and local government. And I just realized technology can really impact people's lives and, and solve difficult challenges. I mean, think about, you know, the ability for a Thomas vehicle to go into a low-income neighborhood to pick up a single mom and allow, enable her to take her, you know, infant child to medical services and that thereby increases, decreases the infant mortality rate for, uh, you know, our city or our region, our states. I mean, that's what kind of makes me wake up in the morning and be excited about what I do. I'm not on the technical side, but I'm on the people side. I love bringing people together to solve challenges and, and really improve the quality of life. And so, it's been so fun um, doing what I do and getting to interact with, with people like Andy and companies like Nikola that are really making a difference, not only for the environment, but for people's lives. It's just truly exciting. It's interesting. Out of So I've had the studio for three years now uh, here in Tempe, and we've had over 800 uh, B2B podcasts, radio shows like this with over 2,000 executive leaders and professionals like yourselves. And I am so proud to be an Arizonan. Uh, in the business world, because 
and Dom, you alluded to this at the very beginning of our conversation, we really are about collaboration and we're seeing how we have to reach across the aisle and and have these conversations broadly and and hyper-focused with the folks who really can make a difference for our, not only our community, but our world at large. And and I'm I'm watching it unfold and happen in in my small way, right? Just being here to help storytell and and hear what's going on uh, with the boots on the ground. But it's phenomenal. I I have rarely had an opportunity to meet somebody these last three years doing this that hasn't said something similar. Like we are so blessed to be part of the Arizona community and and carving our way and paving the way on behalf of technology in our future. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. Yeah, thank you both so much for being here. Uh, it's been a pleasure to learn quite a bit <laughs> about uh, where we're headed with vehicles and and trucking and our infrastructure as it relates to our roads here in Arizona. Is there anything I didn't think to ask that that is worthy of sharing or any last thoughts that you'd like to put out there before we close the segment today? No, Karen, I would just like to say thank you. And, and again, Dom, great to be with you again. And we just look forward to an exciting and, and, and really emerging technology era and it's it's going to be uh, great to watch it happen couldn't have said it better let's collaborate yep, keep <laughs> it up and then the last thing i'm curious what was the car that you wanted to drive when you were you know 15 16 what car did you want to drive and what car did you end up driving so for me I didn't want to drive the station wagon with the wood paneling on the sides. I wanted to be driving my dad's Cougar. Uh, I think it was a 67 Cougar. I ended up getting to, to drive that vehicle. But boy, that that big station wagon pulling into the um, the ATM at the bank and taking off half the paneling as I pulled out of there, that was an awful experience. But how, how about for you guys? Let's go out with some fun. What car would you have loved to have had at that age? And what car did you actually drive? Dom, let's have you start first. All right, so I'm actually lucky. I actually got to drive the car I wanted to drive, uh, which was a 65 Volkswagen bus. Um, believe it or not, I had hair down to here in high school, and uh, was a I kicker can't on the football team and all that. So, so I drove a 65 Volkswagen bus. I always wanted one, uh, and I was lucky enough to find find one and drive one. Love it. <laughs> Karen, are you talking about the car I was driving at 16 or the car that I always wanted and I'm driving now? Which one? I'd love to hear about both. Dom, I, I think uh, we both would like to hear about both. <laughs> yeah. So the 16-year-old car was an old beat-up Camaro that I scraped enough money together, to, to which I also thought was pretty cool. Uh, but I always had dreamed of, uh, of uh, a Porsche 911, and, and luckily I, I got one uh, last year. So it took me to, to get to 52 years of age to be able to get it, but I did. But you did it. Awesome. Yes, Dom's clapping for you. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you both again. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority. And also thank you to JDH Insights, the 2020 Tech advocate sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or a sponsor for the council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business here at Business Radio X. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. (music) 